God's people should be ministry oriented. And let me say this, legitimacy was important in establishing the post-exilic community. Because if you think about this, of Nehemiah, he inserted various lists of priests and Levites to document the genuineness of the faith community and its religious authority. And see, these long lists that we read and that we've been reading are going to underscore the importance of people to God. most Christians, you might reach a genealogy or a list of people in Scripture and quickly scan through it with little regard for its value. Sure, it may not be heartwarming or uplifting on the surface, but Pastor Mark challenges us in today's message to look a little deeper and think about why those names are there. When you read the name of a loved one, of someone important to you, what do you feel? It likely revives memories and feelings that you shared with that specific person. In the same way, each person listed in Scripture is significant to God and gives us a snapshot of his work in their story. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 12 for today's edition of Come Alive. As we've been going through Nehemiah, we're almost finished. We got one more chapter after this one, chapter 12. Hopefully you've been here through all of it. And as you travel through, you know, a lot of people always tell me, you know, wow, I've actually made it through a whole book. I made it through the whole study. And that's a great thing. You know, it's okay to read ahead. You know, I I encourage you to do that. Um, you should be reading ahead. You should be studying. You know, you should have questions written in the margin of your Bible or on your notebook or in your journal or wherever you put your questions. But let me ask you this. If I were to ask you a, a, this one question, how does a person go into the ministry? How, how does a person go into the ministry? And, and I'm going to give you some answers that I've heard because this is, this is very common. Many Christians would answer, well, that person needs to go to a Bible college or to a seminary. And after he served in a ministry position for a while, he needs to be ordained. That, that's kind of how a lot of people think. But, but let me tell you, that's, that's okay. That's all right. It's a trick question, really, what I asked you. The question itself and the answer reflect a, a deeply entrenched but erroneous mentality among God's people. Because it divides people into two categories when you have that answer. Answer: There are those who are in the ministry, and they consider them clergy. And then there are those who are not, and we hear laity or a lay person. And so to the extent that if we buy into that mindset, if you buy into that mindset, the body of Christ will be crippled. It will be handicapped. And you might think, well, I don't understand. Because here's why. If we buy into that mindset, only a few people will be committed to doing the work of the ministry. So it doesn't mean that you, when somebody says, you know, I'm a minister of God's word, you know, all that means is I'm a servant. That's what the word minister means. And so uh, if only a few are committed to do the work of the ministry, while the majority sit back and let them do it, well, then the church will be crippled. 
See, the biblical picture is that those, according to Ephesians, and so if you believe that the Bible is true and it's God's word, that Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, who are called pastors and teachers and evangelists are equipped the saints, all believers, for the work of the ministry. So when you think of a preacher, you know, some people say, well, are you a preacher? And I'm like, no, I'm not a preacher, but not in the sense in this building on Sundays. Uh, I'm not a preacher in that sense, because a preacher is you. A preacher means you carry the gospel out. You, you take it to your friends and to your neighbors. When I'm away from here, then I am a preacher. I will preach the gospel. I tell people about the gospel. I am a teacher here. I teach you. To, I equip you, hopefully, to go out to do the ministry, to do the work of the church. That's, what that's, that's how it works. So the correct answer to the question is, how does a person go into the ministry is... He or she trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. At that moment of trust, Christ as Savior, according to 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, it says, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, not many bodies, whether Jews or Greeks or whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes him or her into the body of Christ. We are part of one body. As members of his body, each one has a spiritual gift. The Bible talks about those spiritual gifts, which he or she is to exercise for the building up of the body. So let me ask you, are you doing that? And you might say, well, I didn't know it until just now. Okay, good. Now you know, and me and somebody were talking this morning, you are now accountable to the Lord for what you know. And so it is proper and usually necessary for those who are called as pastors or teachers and evangelists to, to, to pursue formal training. It, it's kind of, that, that's what you do. But do you have to? Because I know a guy that's never gone to a Bible college and he's one of the best Bible teachers out there and he's written many books. He, he's one of my favorite Bible teachers and he's never gone to a Bible college, and he can sit, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can discern God's word, and he can exegete it, which means go line by line. He can explain it to us very plainly and simply. So it is proper and usually necessary for those who are called to be pastors and teachers to do that, but it's not required. Now, some denominations require it. Those are man-made rules, uh, but for Calvary's, Man, they're like, hey, man, if the Holy Spirit's telling you to do that and you go out and you plant a church and his hand is on you, then go for it. And so that's what you do. But it is still true that every believer has a spiritual gift that he or she is to use in ministry. Every believer, not just some, every. And so I'm talking primarily about a mindset where each of us or each of you sees yourself as entrusted by God with a very vital ministry for which you'll give an account. And you will give an account in that day. God's going to say, hey, how'd you spend your time? Did you build up my kingdom on earth? Because remember that prayer, your kingdom come as it is on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are to bring God's kingdom here on earth by the way we live, the people we talk to, the way we speak to them, the love that we show. And you might say, well, I don't like some people, but Jesus told us to even love your enemies. Well, you don't know my enemies. Well, love your enemies, because if they're the same enemies Jesus had, his enemies did what to him? Hung him on a cross. We were his enemies, 
until we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. So we all have to give an account, and we all have a responsibility. In the parable of the talents, it was the one talent man who buried rather than invested his talent, if you remember that. Remember Jesus got onto, or in the parable, the, the, the master got onto that guy who buried that one talent? God get, or the, the master gives him a talent and some guys went out and invested those talents and there was tenfold and then another one where there's fivefold. The, those are the gifts. That's what it's speaking of. Jesus was telling the story saying, you know, what God has given you, don't go and bury in a field and be like, well, you know, I didn't want to waste it. So I just kind of hid it because we are full of people. America is full of people, Christians who, and, and I know some and I've seen it. I've seen it happen where somebody, where Christianity is attacked and the Christian just kind of, well, mums the word. I'm not saying anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to take a stand. And then they complain and they gripe. Can you believe this world? Sure I can. It's the church's fault. We should own it. We didn't take a stand. We allowed and we didn't take a stand for anything saying we fell for everything. We, we believed. We didn't do our research. We voted in certain ways because of a popular vote or whatever it may be, but it is the church's fault. See, often in the body of Christ, it's the one talent person who thinks, I'm not gifted in an important way, so I can't do much for the Lord. Well, let me just say that's a wrong mentality that I want to challenge. The lesson I want to draw from our text is this, that all of God's people should be ministry-oriented. And let me say this, legitimacy was important in establishing the post-exilic community. Because if you think about this, of Nehemiah, he inserted various lists of priests and Levites to document the genuineness of the faith community and its religious authority. And see, these long lists that we read and that we've been reading are going to underscore the importance of people to God. Each one of these strange, hard-to-pronounce names represents a person who God loved. And we talked about that last week. Jesus said that the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and that his sheep will follow him because they know his voice. Are we following? Do you know his voice? See, the Christian faith is all about personal relationships. It's not about religion. People always ask me, so you being a pastor, you're probably a very religious person. I'm like, no, not at all. I'm not religious. I don't want to be religious. And here's why. Religion is what hung Christ on the cross. We know that. They were religious. They stuck to a set standard of rules. And that set standard of rules, well, they couldn't see past those things. It's the mentality, and hopefully you don't have it. It's it's always done this way. We've done it this way every day since we've been here, every day since, and this is the way it's got to be. No, sometimes that works great. But other times, it's better to say, hey, you know, if, it, if it's not, we're not changing the Bible. We don't want to change the Bible. That stays the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you and I, well, we need to be flexible. Because if you're unflexible, what happens to a stick or a twig that's not flexible? Snaps. And when you snap, it's not good for anyone. So the Christian faith is all about personal relationships. First, number one, with God, and then with one another. The two great commandments, according to Matthew twenty two thirty seven. When, when you see that, Jesus was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, number one, to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the other is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
Nowhere does it say to love you more than anyone else. Nowhere does it talk about, oh, well, you got to have a self-love and you got to forgive yourself. I always laugh at the, you got to forgive yourself. It's just kind of funny. You can be angry with yourself. You can be mad at something you've done, but nowhere in the Bible does it ever tell you to forgive yourself. It always says forgive others. Only God can forgive is what the Bible says. But God is the one who forgives. You don't need to forgive yourself. You need to examine yourself and make the changes. Not forgive yourself. You forgive others. And it's a decision that you make. It's not a feeling. It's not based off of feelings. Let's look at our text, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 12. It says, Now these are the priests and the Levites who came with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah and Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Malak, Haddish, Sekaniah, Rehum, Merimoth, Idu, I don't know how to say that guy's name, Abiju, Mejamin, Madiah, Bilga, Shemaiah, Jorib, Jedidiah, Salu, Amok, Hilkiah, and Jedidiah. And these were the heads of the priests and their brethren in the days of Jeshua. So when we look at that, we see these names here. They're assembled here from various time periods. And you need to know that. It's important to understand this because somebody will come to you, most likely an atheist or some really wannabe smart Christian, and he'll say, well, you know, these names, all these names are in Ezra, but they're different. They're different. Well, here's what you say to them. They're from various time periods. Well, why? Well, it validates the authority of the priesthood in Jerusalem. It begins with those who returned first, that very first wave that came to Jerusalem at the time of a Persian king called Cyrus back in Ezra chapter 2. So, see, you can't always just read the Bible in one verse. Sometimes you've got to flip back and forth to let it make sense chronologically. If you read it, if you, you would do yourself a favor if you buy a chronological Bible and you read through it, it'll blow your mind as to what you see. And so it talks about these guys. These guys, this name, this list is from Ezra chapter 2. We see lists of priests at the time of Zerubbabel's return. So it is different, but I believe it is because this list has these subgroups in it. And so whenever you get two different writers, it's not that they contradict each other. It's just two different writers. Let me, let me explain it this way. You and I, we go stand outside and you're on one side of the street, I'm on the other side of the street, and we both see the same accident. And a, and a police officer, and most police officers will tell you, if the stories of two people are exactly the same, there's something wrong with the story. It goes back to my theory. You show me two great liars, and I'll show you a perfect marriage. And so what happens is you're going to see it from one end, I'll see it from another end. I'm going to tell you what I saw on my side. I will see if I saw it from the side of the driver closest to me, I'm going to be able to describe more of what the driver did. You're going to describe more of what the passenger did. You, some of those things might get a little confused in all the excitement. But the fact is the general scope is going to be the same. So here we have a list. Yes, it is different because it includes subgroups, subgroups of the priests. And so there were four priestly family heads that were listed. In Ezra chapter 2. Yet from these four came over 1,000 priests. So you've got to know that. You've got to understand that. So it seems possible and plausible that these large number of priests, so not only are the heads listed, but also the assistants. Look, verses 8 through 9. 
Verse 8 says, moreover, the Levites were Yeshua, and he names all these other names. Verse 9 says, and, or I'm sorry, the other half of verse 8 says, who led the Thanksgiving Psalms, he and his brethren. Also, Bakubukia and Uni, their brethren, stood across from them in their duties. Yeshua begot Joachim, Joachim begot Elishab, and Elishab begot Jehoiada. So here we go with the, the names again in the Father. So Yeshua and Cadmiel are mentioned in Ezra chapter 2. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to write these down. And so the only Sherebiah that we ever know of served during the time of Ezra, as well as Mattaniah, which is a choir leader during this time in Nehemiah. So you got these two periods coming together. Uh, they're bringing these two periods. Verses 10 through 11, they're talking about the last high priest and, and the high priest. And the last high priest at this time is Josedek. He was the father of Yeshua. Yeshua was the high priest at the time of the very first return and served during the time of the temple's reconstruction. His son, Joachim, succeeded him. After him, there was a guy named Elishab. And he was a contemporary. He was in Nehemiah's time. So we see him mentioned in chapter one of verse three, or chapter one, uh, or chapter one and chapter three, verse one of chapter three. Notice the name Jadua. If you notice that, you want to highlight that he was the high priest during the time of Alexander the Great. So it even moves a little forward. Verses 12 through 21. Joachim is said to have served as a high priest up to and around the time of Ezra. And so when you look at those verses, and it says, Now in the days of Joachim, the high priest, the heads of the fathers' houses were of Sarariah, Meriah, and Jeremiah, and Hananiah, Ezra, Meshulam, and Amariah, and Jehonanan, and the Meliku, and Jonathan of Shebaniah, and Joseph. And then it names some more names. And so as we continue through this, we see all these names here. And so we see that, well, Joachim is said, again, to be the high priest is the time of Ezra. This list is from verses 1 through 7. This is a repeat of the list. And they're repeated with heads of the family leaders. So the family leaders are inside of that as well. We also see a name here that is called Zechariah, who you and I know is a prophet whose book bears his same name. So we see that there. So if we paused for a second in all these names and we for, you took a notice of something that I find very interesting, and I was asked this week that if every chapter points to Jesus, then how does this one? How does this one chapter point to Jesus? Well, you got to kind of study it a little bit. Because if we're just looking surfacely, you're going to miss it. It's kind of like digging for gold. Key word in digging for gold is digging. It takes a little work. It takes a little uncovering. It takes a little moving around and shaking around and sifting. But if you do it, you'll find it. And, and I'll say this. If you go back to verse 1 of chapter 12, you'll see the name Zerubbabel. In Hebrew, it means born or sown in Babylon. Then you see a name Shiltiel, which means I have asked God. Interesting that Nehemiah was born in Babylon and heard some news about his home country and then asked God for help. Then the next name you see is Yeshua. And some of you might be like, oh, that's Jesus' name. True, Yeshua is Jesus' name, but that's not where we see his name, which means he or God will save. And that's where we have seen in our studies that God has saved all these people 
when the enemy had threatened attacks. Then there's a name, Sarariah, which means Jehovah is ruler. Then Jeremiah means God or Jah will rise. That's the root of his name. Ezra, his name means help. Amariah means God has promised. And Malach means counselor. So how do we see Jesus in there? Well, if we put all this together, we could say Nehemiah could say, I was born in Babylon and asked God for help. He will save, and he did. He is our ruler. He will rise up and help us, and he promised a counselor. Isn't that one of the names of Jesus? That's a picture of Jesus. God will save. He sits at the right hand of God, and he rules, and he is risen, and he has promised a helper, a counselor. That's how we see Jesus in this. We see him foretold of in a prophecy in names. So look at with me at verse 22 through 23. And what we see here is some more names. It says, during the reign of Darius, the Persian. So now we know a time. It gives us a name of a person. You can go back in history and study this guy and find an actual date. A record was also kept of the Levites and the priests who had been heads of their father's houses in the days of Elisha, Joida, Johanan, and Jadua. And then the sons of Levi, the heads of the fathers of the houses, until the days of Johanan, the son of Elishab, were written in the book of the Chronicles. Now, this isn't the Chronicles in our Bible. It's a Persian book that chronicled the life of what was going on. So we see here that the Bible is very careful to cite its sources and give us a time. And so the previous lists were well documented. These later lists in the days of Elisha and Joida and Johanan and Jadua were recorded in the reign of Darius, the Persian. The record, uh, the writer used was the book of the Chronicles. So they, they have a book. The Persians actually had that book. In verses 24 through 26, these show us, these names show us an overview of the leading Levitical clans that claimed lineage to a common ancestor. Who is that common ancestor? Well, when we look there, it talks about a common ancestor here. And we see that it's in the time of Ezra, the priest, the scribe. Who's that common ancestor? Well, we can look back and it's David. As we will move forward, we'll see that. And so we see here a dedication ceremony. The Levites had a lot of of responsibilities in verses 27 through 29. Look there with me. It says, now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing and with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophites and from the houses of Gilgal and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, And for the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. And then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the walls. Thanks for tuning in today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking through the book of Nehemiah, revealing God's provision and plans for his people and for you as you continue to follow him today. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Pastor Mark or the Come Alive ministry, head to our website, comealiveradio.com. There you'll also find an archive of our teachings, as well as a link to the church this program originates from, Calvary Chapel, Katy. If you're in the Katy area, Tracy has an invitation for you. 
Calvary Chapel Katy is a great group of Jesus followers who are ready and waiting to welcome you into our family. We'll make sure you find a friendly smile and a listening ear. We genuinely want to get to know you. Come and see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or find out more about our men's and women's Bible studies. Give us a call with any questions and to get directions. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. See you there. Thanks, Tracy. That phone number again is 281-391-5503. We want to know how we can be praying for you as well, so please let us know when you call. Prayer is powerful, and we are honored to be able to do this for our listeners. Thanks for tuning in today, and be sure to join us next time to keep learning from Nehemiah. That's right here on Come Alive.